Take a look on back a few decades past To a simpler time to be When your cares were tied To a phone car ride And the next show on TV So crank on up your boombox jams And flip your tape to the beside We're going back to class on this podcast Back to the Previously on 80s High. Ben. Yes, Chris. For next week, I want you to put yourself into the chilling, into the puzzling, into the mind-bending, into the unsolved, (gasps) unsolved mysteries. We're going to revisit all of the glory of unsolved freaking mysteries. Are you excited? How am I not supposed to talk about unsolved mysteries right now for four hours straight? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Welcome back everyone to 80s High, the podcast that revisits the memories and pop culture that made the 1980s one of the most radical decades in history. We're your hosts, Ben and Chris. And this is 80s High. Chris, what's going on, man? Welcome back. It's episode it's episode two, dude. We made it. We made it back. We haven't been expelled. We haven't <laughs> been uh, canceled. I don't know who would cancel us. That would be a pretty terrible thing to be canceled on the free podcast internet. But, you know. We're going to pull a firefly and get canceled season one. <laughs> and people are going to lose their minds and write in. Well, I, I think the class of 80s high will do a hard line petition to bring us back on Absolutely. some other network. We're going to get out there somewhere. I just know it. We've got them at our camp. So it's early morning. We're chilling. Yeah. It's home room again. Mm-hmm. How was your week? Anything you want to talk about? Anything, you want to get anything off your chest? Anything you want to break down? What's up? I'm just really excited about this week's topic. That's all okay. I really have to say right here and right now. I mean, this is one of those days where like you actually do want school to start. You're in homeroom. You're like, okay, let's go. Let's go. It's like field day or something. I don't know. Like I'm just, I'm so pumped. Is it acceptable for a 36 year old man to be giddy? I am giddy to get into this this one, this topic this week. I think giddiness is a wonderful feeling. I think we should all have a little more giddiness, a little more, what's another good okay. word? Levity? Is that a good Ooh, Levity. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that, well, that, that's part of a wizard spell, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you should always incorporate wizard spells into your podcast. We need some podcast. Wingardium Levity, but yes! no, we're, we're, we're venturing into another decade. We can't do that. Before we jump into getting into this week's topic, I had a wonderful 80s nostalgia pop culture experience today that I thought was very relevant to nostalgia. Wonderful. Yes. So have you, have you heard of, do you know if I say the two words together, wizard world, does that mean anything to you? Wizard world. Honestly, to go back to Harry Potter, that's where it comes to mind. <laughs> Harry Potter, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is what it's called. Yeah, Universal. exactly, right? <laughs> so Wizard World is a, is a brand of pop culture conference. So you know, like Comic-Con is the main one. Right. Wizard World is a whole nother uh, chain all across the country, at least. I don't know if they're international. Oh. I've been to a couple. They're a lot of fun. It's like a smaller down version. But so th- in 2020, they've been doing a lot of their events virtually, and a lot of them are free. So today, I attended for an hour, Wizard World did a live Q&A with the voice actors of the four original animated Ninja Turtles. What? 
So that's Barry Gordon uh, did Donatello, Cameron Clark was Leonardo, Rob Paulson was Raphael, and Townsend Coleman did Michelangelo. I mean, it was a lot of fun. They're great. They've got wonderful energy. And it's cool to hear them in their like casual conversation. You'd be like, that sounds like Leonardo. That's awesome. <laughs> um, like you get the hints in his regular voice, right? Yes. Yes. You're yeah. like, oh, I heard a little raff in there. Yeah, got it. <laughs> um, but, but the wisdom, because you were dropping so many great quotes of wisdom bombs last episode. It was Dr. Was Neil. Great... I can't take any credit. Sorry, that yeah, was that... all Doc Neil. Thank you for channeling Doc Neil. Oh, it was man. awesome. That guy. So Rob Paulson is a freaking gem. So Rob Paulson uh, voiced the original Raphael. He came back in a later Turtles edition, voiced somebody else. Hmm. He also voiced Yakko in Animaniacs. He voiced Pinky from Pinky and the Brain. And shout out, he's got a podcast I love called Talking Tunes, hmm. where he brings on voice actors and they just talk about the industry and their history. So when's he going to have us on again? Right? <laughs> Wait, wait, what did you call it before we started the show? We are the, the Casey's Casem. <laughs> the Casey's Casem. He's going to have Casey's Casem. A on. multiplicity of Casey Casems. Well, he's just, just such a gracious guy. He's very thankful for where he is in life. He That's takes great. nothing for granted. He's a, he's a wonderful human being. Anyway, his knowledge bomb that he dropped, and we were talking about the value of nostalgia, uh, he said at one point, he's like, I, and remember, he played Donatello. He's mm. like, I can't tell you all the fan mail I've gotten over the years or meeting people in person at these cons. And people are in tears saying, when I was a kid, Donatello was the first scientist that I ever was introduced to. And he Mm. made science cool, and it saved the day. And that's why I pursued X science in my career. So thank you for being Donatello. That's awesome. And the guy who played Michelangelo, which I'm going back real fast, Townsend Coleman, was like, yeah, 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 me too. I got so many fan messages, or I met people in life, who talked about their rough childhoods they had growing up and the Mm. tough times they went through. But Michelangelo always taught them to look on the fun side of life and look for the happiness and the joy in the most dire of situations. Michelangelo still looked for the optimism. And they're like, I took that as a lesson as a child to get me through the hardest times. And they were, they just took that weight of like, what is just a light comedy about teenage Ninja Turtles and what like, how that impacted people's lives for the rest of their lives. I thought that was really impressive. I liked that a lot. That is awesome. It's always great when art can sort of inspire people in perhaps unexpected ways. I think that's really cool. And I think we got a glimpse into what our next episode's topic's going to be. I'm just, I'm going to throw it out there. If I was a betting man, I feel like TMNT is going to be <laughs> Ben is <Yeah>. like <laughs> ready to explode. <laughs> Let me go sit in my Technodrome for an hour and think about it. I'll get right. back to you. You're going to have to hold your enthusiasm because we have a, another fantastic topic to talk <gasps> about this week, which we heard from the previously on is Unsolved Mysteries. But I feel like we, we can't start talking because I feel like at any minute, the announcements are just going to like interrupt us. Yeah, I feel like at any moment, they're just going to come in. and Attention, go- 80s high. I am Jackie here to share today's homeroom announcements. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to catch the latest show topics and a joyful stream of 80s nostalgia. That's 80s High Podcast on Instagram. Today's lunch menu will be chicken strips and fish sticks. Whether you prefer a strip or a stick, make sure to keep those bones healthy by adding a carton of milk to every meal. Listeners, would you like to join the class of 80s High? Get advance notice of show topics, answer fun survey questions, and share your memories with a chance to have them included in a future episode. You can even be the next classmate to read these announcements. 
Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com. That's 80shighpodcast at gmail.com. After school today, the AV Club will be meeting to learn about VCRs, the future of home entertainment. If you're a whiz for technology, join the AV Club today at 3.30 in Classroom 5B. Thank you all, and have a rad day. Go Mogwise! Oh, see it happen. All right, well, I'll catch you in first period. First period! Made it! History class! I took a couple side turns on my way to history class, and where I went will forever remain... An unsolved mystery. I will tell An you this much. <laughs> ben was chatting my ear off the whole way here. And basically, he's already <sighs> jumped like three. Like, he's at the end of the day already. He's just so stoked. Like I said, this is our first topic. And oh, my gosh. I remember watching this. I don't know if I ever saw it when it first came on. But I know during his like first season run, we started watching it. And Ben, what do you kind of most associate with this show? What When you think unsolved mysteries, what do you think of? Two words. Okay. Paralyzed fear. <laughs> and it is, you know, we talked last time about like, what, what are the triggers of nostalgia? Yeah. I'm not going to jump to anything. You do it when you want. But I just want to say at any time in my life, when I hear the theme song to Unsolved Mysteries, it immediately creates an emotion that makes me want to look over my shoulder. Oh my God. I'm scared every time, every time. Yeah, we're going to talk about kind of why that is. I want to get okay, into a okay. little bit of the sort of pieces of that song that terrify us all. And I think that is the most often mentioned thing about this show. But there's tons of other cool stuff about it, which we obviously want to delve into. Ben, how many episodes would you guess have been made of Unsolved Mysteries? It's a great question. I have no idea. I feel like at a cursory, you know, because I, I wanted to do my homework. I wanted to yeah. watch a couple episodes before this to get it fresh back in the brain. So I looked at like some top lists. So I have like a general idea. I'm going to I'm going to shoot in the dark at like six official seasons. And then maybe they're like X-Files where they're like, let's do an extra one just to scare the crap out of them even more. So maybe there's like a seventh surprise season. How many episodes? Would you say that would come total? Season. Oh, no, that's uh, fine. This is good. So in the 80s was like Star Trek days where they used to pack like 312 episodes <laughs> into every season. <laughs> you know, none of this like Stranger Things where there's 10 episodes or Game of Thrones, seven episodes. No, there's, there's no 10 episode runs. No. I'll go with the same thing. I bet every season had 25 episodes, roughly. Okay. So 25 times six. So that's 100 and 150, 150 episodes. 593 what? episodes. The show that, has run for 15 oh. seasons. We're going to get into this later in chemistry, but I hate that there's that many episodes detailing <laughs> real life unsolved <laughs> mysteries. That's upsetting. That's a little terrifying, right? For many reasons. Yes. One, there's that many instances of the theme song out there, but two, there's that many mysteries to be solved. Yes. What the hell? Another fun little piece of history is that Robert Stack was not the first nor the only host of the show. There were five different hosts. I feel like watching the intro, the old priest from The Exorcist would have made a really good thing. Just like walking down the alleyway, coming up into the lamplight. Are you kidding me? I only knew about Robert Stack. Well, obviously, like, right, he's the iconic guy. But uh, when the show first came out, there actually, there it was a special on TV, and it was hosted by Raymond Burr, who played Perry Mason. And a lot oh. of people know from, what is it, like, 50s and going forward, it was Raymond Burr who did the first episode. And Raymond Burr also has a kind of classic, iconic look 
and uh, sound to his voice. But but certainly Robert is the one everybody knows. Can you slip in like a Raymond Burr audio clip here so we can get like a sample of that Tasty Tasty's popular voice? Take it away, Raymond. Through the years, I've been associated with many fictional mysteries. However, tonight we will see four mysteries which are true and still unsolved. They've affected the lives of many people, people like you and me. But these people have found themselves swept up in a vortex of the most extraordinary and mysterious circumstance. All right. Wow. Okay. I get it now. So, I mean, Raymond was good, but then they had another, uh, they released more specials. It was really popular. There was a guy named Carl Malden who did it. And then Robert stacked it a couple of the specials and then they made like proper season and Robert did it for a long run. But, you know, towards the end of its kind of like continuous run, ratings started to drop. And so they actually brought in a co-host. Virginia Madsen came in. Uh, But unfortunately, having a co-host did not boost ratings. The show went off the air. It switched networks. It's been on like five different networks. Oh, they pulled the old they pulled the old Conan O'Brien. I know. Yeah. Just hopping around. Network to network. And then I don't know if you know him by name, but Dennis Farina had done one when it moved over to, um, I think it moved to CBS. But uh, like I said, it kind of hopped around a little bit. And then, of course, the new season came out with no host. And we'll we'll get to that later today. How is there a, dr- a crime drama history show with no host? It's just like, now we're not even going to walk you through the horror. You're just going to guess on your own what, what we're getting into. The stories will kind of tell themselves. And I, I, think, I think there's a lot of more recent influences as to why that is. But we'll get there. We will get there. I did also want to mention one fantastic thing. There was a famous actor who nabbed an early role in his career as one Stop of the it. reenactors. I think he played a murder victim. Who was it? You might know who this is. True to his past. John Stamos. He played a detective. If you made contact with him, you'd see the magic he brings. I feel you're speaking in very clear code. (laughs) And someone six weeks from now in their car is screaming into the windshield with the obvious answer. Listen to the words I'm going to emphasize here. See, this is the, the unsolved mystery for you. True to his past, he played a detective... If you made contact with him, you'd see the magic he brings. True detective. Magic. Contact. Contact magic. True detective. True detective is a current show. Magic Johnson was a very popular basketball player at the time. Um, A detective of magic could be a ghostbuster. Could be a ghostbuster. Who is in true detective? And contact. Dan Aykroyd. And magic Mike. Oh, contact um jody foster i can't believe you you don't know who i am there's there's all sorts of layers to the way that i'm acting billy bob thornton (laughs) (laughs) matthew mcconaughey oh no way i've never seen true detective this is terrible okay but clearly i'm not being invited to any panel of voiceover artists no (laughs) that was really good i just you needed to be like in a car in a luxury vehicle driving at night like, he doesn't he do some car commercial all the time? Like, Buick or something? When I drive a Lexus down the Lexus, road. That, I don't know. It's one of those, yeah. I, I thought he was just in here a second ago. Was that him? Was that you? <laughs> I thought he came in. I'm going to hear this on the playback when I edit. I'm going to be like, that's the worst Matthew McConaughey ever. I know. It's so good. I have, so, <sighs> you either just know this because you being who you are, or you researched it. But I have two 
history questions that don't make sense in chemistry. Like, I, the, like honest questions as I was listening to this All right. that I need help on. Robert Stack. When I saw him and when I heard him rewatching these episodes, I was like, that guy is a big deal. Who was Robert Stack? Was he from something else? That's a great question. He was in Airplane. <laughs> Maybe it was Airplane. So Ben, like Robert Stack, I mean, you check out his oeuvre, but the man is a World War II veteran. He was an aerial gunnery officer in the Navy. This guy has done tons of TV shows, Untouchables television show. He was Elliot Ness. So he's been a crime fighter basically his entire life. Okay, so it's in his blood. I like that. I like that. It's him. It's his essence. It's who he is. I love it. Okay, that helps. The other question I have. Yeah. And this is really important for framing up our discussion. Why did this show start? Why did this show exist? Wow, you're asking great questions. Because one answer is like the FBI was like, we need citizen science to help us find these bastards who are stealing children and murdering people in the middle of the night. How can we broadcast to get this help from people? So we've got eyes on the ground around the country looking for people. Let's start a show. Or was it just pure Hollywood entertainment? They're like, you know what we need more of? Children peeing beds. And how do we do that? Let's scare them so they won't get out of bed. Let's tell them a million stories about kidnappers. So I don't know, but I think it was just sort of that the search for the truth and then that clarion call that you can help solve a mystery, right? I think there's something to be said about the kind of participatory nature of the show that was very unique. And while it wasn't called crowdsourcing back then, I think there's something to be said about the crowdsourcing of that knowledge and using television as a medium to do that. So I, I can't say I know a proper answer of it, but I feel like the co-creators really had that concept in mind. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so it was a little bit of like citizen science. Let's get it out here. It's entertaining, but let's also get some help from people. I think so. I really do think so. I mean, I I haven't really seen an interview where like they talk to John Cosgrove and Terry Dunn Muir. They're the two who co-created it. Okay. So yeah, it's... There's just something about this show that I think really draws people in in a unique way. Oh, God, yes. Okay. The last thing I'll say, if you don't know what Unsolved Mysteries is, I guess I should say that. If you're maybe a younger viewer or you didn't grow up in the U.S. or something, it's an American mystery documentary TV show. And the cool thing, Ben mentioned the murder, the wanted people, the unsolved crimes. But there's also like lost loves, uh, buried treasure, the unexplained amnesia cases, missing people, paranormal, cryptozoology, right? There's Bigfoot episodes. There's UFO Oh, you stole my episodes. word of the show. I was, there was like 30 minutes before I was going to bust that word out. <laughs> yes. But it's like cold cases. Like it's just, it's really, I think that was one of the appeals of the show is that it covered such a, a wide swath of stuff. And yeah, this thing ran for 15 seasons, nearly 600 episodes. So very cool. I feel like we got to get into what made this show really work, why it all jammed together. I'm calling it. I think it's second period. What do you say? There's only one place to figure all this out. Yeah. It's chemistry class. Chemistry. Okay, it's chemistry. We're talking about how everything kind of melts together, the magic formula. So Ben, I kind of want to delve into this more. What is your experience with Unsolved Mysteries? Yeah, so I was like, I was really trying to tap the memory here. And it's it's really when I escaped my first kidnapper, I think, 
I, they, they, I was watching it in their basement and I got out through the window well. No, this movie <laughs> shows Like so you got on the scary. phone and like it was being live broadcast. It's him. I'm in the basement. Robert's I, I like, see it on the thing. book them boys, you know. And yeah, they, and it was, was a, it was a corded phone, so I didn't yeah. have to worry about reception in the basement. <laughs> and this is going to come up over and over again in all of our episodes. So my parents in junior high in seventh grade, which this is way past the 80s, but they allowed me to have a 13-inch color TV with a built-in VCR in my bedroom. I can picture one of those right now. It had like the little handles on it. Oh, yeah. And it was perfect when I went to like sleepovers because I could bring it with like a Nintendo or something. It was portable. Absolutely. So I had that on top of a proper boombox and it was Mm. connected to – I had cable in my room. And I was a crazy night owl as a kid. I would stay up so late. I don't know if my parents knew that or not. And what was on really late at night oh my God. was calls from the Jamaican medium who could speak with your dead relatives. I forget. That was Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo. Cleo. So she was on anything having to do with cryptozoology. <laughs> and Unsolved Mysteries was on. And that you'd watch this at night and then you'd be like, well, I can't go to sleep now. It's the highway to Nightmare City. So I got to watch something else to cleanse the brain palate. Right. And then you turn the TV off and then you're laying there. And of course, Unsolved Mysteries come back and you're like, why have they not found that child yet? How could they not do that? And then you don't sleep. That's my earliest memory. What, what about you? What, do you? what do you remember the show? You know, I do remember watching it in our house with my family. And I remember it being kind of a regular thing. And one of the episodes that I, for some reason, I really, really remember the most is about the ship, the Queen Mary, and that mm. there is a story about it being haunted. Well, we actually had a, a, a listener, one of our class of 80s high classmates talked about her experience with the show. And actually, she mentioned, I think that very same episode. We had somebody write in, uh, on her memory of Unsolved Mysteries. So this uh, this comes from Aaron. And Aaron writes, Unsolved Mysteries was my jam back in the day. First mm. of all, best intro theme ever. I was yeah. always very excited when there was an update to the case. When I watched Unsolved Mysteries in my younger days, I loved the ghost mysteries. I've watched a few episodes here and there as an adult, and the show still holds up, mostly because I get a kick out of the hairstyles, clothing, and Robert Stack's serious voice. Mm. So she was into the ghost stories, too. And I think I I replied back to her, and I mentioned the Queen Mary episode, and she totally knew which one I was talking about. And I can still picture one of the shots, which was there is a woman who was working on the boat, and I believe she's a tour guide, and she was kind of wrapping up her shift. It was the end of the day. And she was coming up this escalator and she said she turned around and there was a man standing like right behind her, kind of like off to the side. And it kind of startled her. And she said, so I got off of the escalator thinking it was maybe somebody from the tour. And I, I stepped aside to let this guy pass and there was nobody. Whoa. And I remember as a kid, like chills up the arms, like I was simultaneously terrified and loved that kind of stuff. <laughs> loved it. And I think as a kid, I really, I dug the um, treasure ones always interested me. There was always this like unclaimed inheritance or this treasure, like a, you know, somebody from Wild West days who had buried some treasure along this river and millions of dollars and bullion or something gold bullion or pirate doubloons i don't know like that's, but that's so fun right and you you said this at the top of the show when you first declared that unsolved mysteries would be the topic i completely forgot about the variety of topics all i could remember all that was seared into my brain 
was murderers who didn't get caught. <laughs> and I had I had no memory whatsoever of like buried treasure and aliens yeah. and Bigfoot. Like it was just like this dude killed a kid and we can't find him. He might be in your neighborhood. Be careful when you go outside. And so that was actually, you know, we'll get into it more, but like that was a breath of fresh air when I rewatched a couple of episodes of like, ooh, look like treasure hunt pirates. Like this is kind of fun. So I do want to ask you, uh, so our assignment was to each go back and watch two episodes of the show. Yes. We could we could kind of have a free pick, but we tried to stay in the 80s. So was there a particular case or set of cases in the episodes you watched that really resonated with you? Yeah. So just as a quick recap, I Googled best unsolved mystery episodes of all time. Nice. And then I went through a couple of lists and I found the ones that met the 80s criteria. So I watched two episodes. And for anyone listening to this, Every single episode is free on YouTube. There's an Unsolved Mysteries channel and YouTube channel. You go to it. It's got every broken down by season. You can watch every single episode. So I watched season one, episode 14, which had the stories of Carnival, Missing Cop Killer, Missing Canadian Miner, A House Ghost, and this guy named Leo Corey, who was kind of like a gangster. And then I watched season two, episode one, which kicked it off with the fun and cheerful Molester Cop. Oh, jeez. Thanks, Lieutenant Stevens, and the two-parter, Roswell. Oh. It's like the proper account of the alien spacecraft crash. That is like the alien story. Like, that's the one. Wow. Yeah. How was that one? What'd you think? You know, I learned stuff. Okay. Um, There were several people who claimed to have come in touch with the wreckage and the beings before the military got a hold of it. And so there's some sort of interesting eyewitness accounts and things like that. So I, I learned some things. The one that really stuck out with me, though, because it was so different from what I remember, was this Thanks, Lieutenant Stevens. Hmm. It was this story of a, a Vietnam helicopter pilot. And they do a great job of setting the stage of how horrible it was to be a helicopter pilot in Nam. So this guy goes into a terrible helicopter crash. And he's, like, completely helpless. He was in a coma, comes out of the coma, completely paralyzed, no memory, can't talk. And this physical therapist, I guess it's a physical therapist, she might do more than that. But she worked with him incredibly. And she like verbally abused other soldiers who laughed at him. There were soldiers who like helped him. And he was basically a vegetable who had to relearn to walk. He starts by crawling on the ground and he has to basically go through like a baby to walk again. And so you meet the real guy present day and he's like a fully functioning, normal, wonderful human being. And the whole story is he's trying to find this therapist who he never got the name of. Oh, wow. And it ends with, we found her. Because of this show, she called in and saw this special. And then it's them like hanging out on the couch, like uh, reconnecting. It was such a beautiful story. That's awesome. It was so good. I that loved it. That was great. I loved it. Those case updates, I just have to say, like that. I mean, I want to talk about the participatory nature of this show, but I think those were a huge piece of that puzzle. Like oh, yeah. having those updates was, I think, a critical aspect. So I. We'll tell you, I tried to find some episodes and there's some weird numbering differences between what's on uh, Mm. some of the channels and what's listed in Wikipedia. So I've probably wasted an hour just trying to find an episode I wanted to watch about the Queen Mary. I couldn't find it. Yes. But I wanted to rewatch that episode because that one, again, was that kind of like iconic one. And then there was another one that was supposed to have a story about the face of Mars on it. And I was like, well, that'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I finished the whole episode. There's not one mention of the face of Mars. What? I was like, are you kidding? This is false advertisement. The whole reason I came here. Ah, so unfortunately, I didn't get to see that one. And then I was kind of frustrated at that point. I was like, all right, screw it. I'll watch it later. But I'll say some of the stories were kind of hit and miss. But 
the ones that stand out really do. My feeling is what made the show work is, I mean, it, it's a lot of things that all combined, I think, perfectly, right? But the one is human curiosity, right? Mm, we have this primal mm. level where we want to figure things out. We love novelty. We're curious about it. We want to solve things, right? We want to solve mm-hmm. stuff. We want to figure it out. We don't like the unexplained. We don't like the unknown. And we want to catch bad guys. We want bad guys to be caught. We don't want people to become victims. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that to me is the core. And then you layer on all the other magic, right? So first off, you get like the perfect host. And they finally yeah. found Robert Stack. He's got the voice. He's dressed in that character. He's walking in and out of shadows with columns. You know, it's that, it's that noir detective vibe, right? right like it just right. fits. Like it's great. He just has that. Noir. That's a great. Oh. There's a lot of nod to noir here and, and setting the stage for it. Yeah. It's just steeped in it and it's wonderful. And I think, yeah, you can't almost help but be drawn into that. So that's obviously a critical piece. The other thing I think is really uh I think it goes back to sort of why the show is made or maybe one of the reasons they thought this will work is the you pitch. You know, Robert yeah. says, join me. You may be able to help solve a mystery. So it's like, wait, I get to be the one to crack the case. I saw that guy. Oh, she, you know, she goes to the diner I go to. She's been missing for 15 years. I know her. Right. I think there's something to that. And it, like, I was thinking about like all these other you pitches that were successful. Uncle Sam, I want you, right? Yeah. World War II. JFK, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Yeah. Smokey Bear, only you can prevent Ooh. forest fires, right? There's that you pitch that I think works. And then you create the feedback loop of the updates. And it gives viewer the sense that I could go make a difference right now. It brought you into the fold. It closed the loop. You could help law enforcement solve a case, Maybe even a cold case or a most wanted criminal. So this is going to be a long metaphor, but I promise I'm going to bring it back to right where you just put a period on that sentence. Go for it. Because there there was so much gravity into that you, right? Like the call to action was help us find this murderer, this mass murderer, or help us find three billion in gold doubloons (laughs) off the Oregon coast. (laughs) You and the Goonies can crack this case. But like it was actual real important stuff. Yeah. And I feel like in our today, like, hyper-consumer world, there's a lot of call to you of, like, like us on Facebook. Or, like, even if when we do, I'm going to hit, you know, a little bit of 90s where it's like, TRL, call in and tell oh us which God. music video you want to watch play. Yes. And it makes me it makes me think of, like, since tis the season, in A Christmas Story, you know, Ralphie is listening to the radio and it's like, uh, for Ovaltine, help little o- orphan Annie crack this case. Oh. <laughs> okay, the code D, and he's like cracking the case, and it's like, oh my god, drink your Ovaltine. that dial, he's licking yeah. his lips. Oh my god, so be good. sure to drink your Ovaltine, son of a bitch. Ralphie <laughs> says, and he just feels so disappointed because like that's the participatory nature. It's some yeah. garbage sales pitch, but unsolved mysteries was like justice, like mm-hmm. be a part of justice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. That that's one of those things I feel like. When the creators stumbled on that element of it or that was thought up, it was like, this is gold. We found the thing. This is yeah. the, the magic recipe. But of course, the icing on this delicious cake. And so I'm going to pull us into a, a side classroom for period 2.5 music appreciation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so good. I told Ben I was going to add a class, uh, a class period. He got really mad. But I was like, you're going to like it because it's music appreciation. This freaking song. Why is it so terrifying? Why does it haunt our dreams? Why is it the nightmare, right? Halloween theme song, forget one, two, Freddy's coming for you, all of those out of there, right? So I, I did a little reading on this and you can find some great articles online. This one's from the LA Times where they talk to the co-writers of the song. It's Gary Malkin and Michael oh, Boyd. Awesome. These two guys came together and tried to figure out what kind of song that they could create. And the best part is They said they used to get letters all the time from parents saying, can you change the theme music? Our children are terrified. Yes. So we weren't alone. That makes me feel We were not alone. And in fact, the the creators of like, this is the thing that we get asked about the most. Of all the things you could ask about this show, people always comment about the theme song. Oh, yeah. Like top of the list. So these are the basic elements that the article kind of breaks down that the creators are talking about. So there's ostinato, which is that repeating rhythmic figure that gives a song its like urgency, its inescapable menace, right? That like dun 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 Right, which is like, which is like, you know, there's been a lot of flack around Inception that like <laughs> that sound effect, but that's the thing, right? Blum, blum mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. Good, Kay. good, love it. There's also an interval called the tritone or the devil's interval. What is what? Okay, what? God, what? There's was that? literally a thing in music called the Devil's Interval. Yeah, but in the theme song, what is the Devil's Interval in the theme so song? So I, I tried to figure out what aspect of it it actually is. It's very hard for me. Music composition theory folks are going to understand this super well. I tried to understand it. I watched a couple of videos. I didn't quite get it. It's a dissonant combination of tones. And so you'll find a lot of uh, tritones in like jazz music. You'll find it in rock music where they're creating that kind of dissonance. Again, it kind of amps up the tension, the instability. It's just this dissonance that's added in there. I, I can't quite determine what part of this song is that thing. Okay. I had trouble with that. I think it's just the music combinations of some of the notes that are being played. One more time. The Devil's Nightmare. What's it called? <laughs> what is the, what's the phrase? devil's interval the devil's interval okay awesome great and basically when you're when you're looking at the music scale you're just doing like some diminished or augmented like thirds and sixths and things like that so okay i barely even know what i'm talking about but that's what i learned i think something that's really effective about the theme song is it's technically like if you looked at sheet music it's like two bars because it's just the same like dun 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 Dun, 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 dun. And if it's just those notes, that gets in your head. It's really easy to remember that. Oh, yeah. That music, that progression. Yeah. And the fact that it's just like it's rhythmic, you don't escape the song, right? And that's the inescapability of it. And then you add in all of these other layers that are just nightmarish, right? So the, the part that really puts it over the edge is the synthesizer. 
And so they worked with a guy named Charles Judge. He added the synth, right? That's the like the whining, and, you know, the like when those parts come in, that's the part that always terrifies me is that whining. It's this like sweeping, sliding pitch bends, siren like, it's wailing, it's just. That's the chilling part whenever that comes it's on. It's a cyber cat being thrown through the air. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Android cat. Yes. And then there's a killer drum sound in there, right? It's kind of like a gunshot or an explosion. Again, oh, more yeah. tension. Layers, layers, layers. The sedimentary rock of this song is just like layers compressing down on oh my God. your psyche. Oh, it's so good. Uh, I mean, I feel like I very much appreciate music more. Has this class been effective? Well, the last thing I want to say. So one of the co-creators, Malkin, that was being interviewed, he said that after spending weeks putting this score together, he had to go on a camping trip to Mount Shasta just (laughs) to kind of get away. He said he was so plagued by the song, it destroyed him for weeks after. He had horrible (gasps) nightmares. Yeah, buddy. It haunted his dreams. It's such a trope in, in so much fantasy, like in novel or in television or movies where like, there's a certain series of notes you shouldn't play because it will summon a demon or something. Right. Like, and th- there's a lot of that, right? Like in in uh, in E.T. the Extraterrestrial, there's a do 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 do. Like they had to mm-hmm. communicate with the aliens. In Masters of the Universe, there's that weird freaking guitar thing that the dwarf guy plays and that opens a gate. Like there's yeah. a series of notes, and I feel like these guys made the note. If you make any piece of music that involves the devil's interval. You're trying to summon Hades. And they did it. They did it. Yeah. And again, 30 years later, we're still all terrified. So oh my God. Congratulations, guys. This is all of the reasons the show is effective. You, when you just pile all that together, it's like you've got this combination that can't really lose. It can't fail. So is it okay to go back to uh, chemistry class? Okay, let's. So I pulled you back. <laughs> we're, we're, we're leaving the side classroom. We've now gone back into chemistry. We're 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 at our beakers and graduated cylinders. I still have a recorder in my pocket, though. Obviously, obviously. Because okay, you were talking about what makes it so scary. So I I was trying to really think this through while I was watching the show, and I feel like there are for me there are three pillars besides the theme music that make this a terrifying concept. Sure. Is this a good time to get into this? Number one. Number one, there are so many stories in Unsolved Mysteries about kids going missing. Mm. Kids that never got found, that they went out to play one day, they went riding on their bike, or they went to go get something from the store for their parents, or they went out to play in the woods, and they never came back. And this show is not fiction. These kids are gone. And in every one of these episodes, it's always like an adult is the suspect, right? An adult somewhere took this kid and the kid is now gone it's most likely they didn't go to disney world for a super great time like something bad has happened to this child and i think that was so scary to me as a kid because it was one of my first introductions that adults do bad things to kids yeah i had lovely parents i still do have lovely parents i grew up in a great neighborhood i knew teachers and all my teachers were great uh role models and then television and film like you know besides like Frickin', uh, who's the bad guy on G.I. Joe? Uh, Cobra Commander? Cobra Commander. Like, besides that dude, like, (laughs) nobody would have ever heard a child (laughs) anywhere. But this show was like, these are real adults who stole real kids and they're gone. And that was like, 
as a kid, you're like, oh my God, which adults should I be scared of out there? Yeah, especially back then. I don't know if it's different. I feel like it is different now. It's a different kind of tone. But I think especially back then, that was just more of a foreign concept for, I think, more kids than now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's pillar number one of why I think the show was terrifying. Number two is like- That's a firm pillar. That's that firm is pillar, right? Nightmare. So let's think about cops. Like, do you have TV shows or movies? Like, are there cop shows or cop movies that stick out to you that you were like, I love that show? When you said cops, I thought you meant the show called Cops. No, I was no. Gonna... <laughs> no, 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 no. Which was also like, more, like more, fiction, like fun, more tales of nonfiction, right? Law enforcement stories. Mm. Well, there is Police Academy. Perfect. Perfect. As an 80s kid, of course. That I mean, are we talking about when I was a kid, like first introductions? That's good. But if there's not any others you want to throw out that you're like, this was a great mm. law enforcement show about cops. I mean, the shows I think about were like, there was Police Academy. There was an old show on Nick at Night, Car 54, Where Are You? There oh, yeah. was, uh, <laughs> well, there was Naked Gun. <laughs> yes, that's on my list. Thank you. So Naked Gun. <laughs> Naked Gun, of course. Oh, Leslie Nielsen. What a, what a freaking treasure. Dragnet, which is... good. I think also wasn't Leslie Nielsen in that, isn't Dragnet was great. I think Naked Gun's supposed to be a parody of him being in Dragnet, right? Wasn't so he good. in that? Or so something good. like that. So those are some of the ones that immediately come to mind. They're perfect. And you hit all the ones I had on my list. In modern times, uh, we love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. is sure. such a charming show. Yeah. So in all these police fiction stories, it's great, right? You, you love the cops. The cops are the heroes. They're the good guys. And at the end of the episode, unless it's a two-parter, they get the bad guy. Like, they solve the crime, they work together, they use unconventional methods, creativity, and teamwork, and the crime is solved. Unsolved Mysteries was the first time I was ever introduced to the concept, some crimes don't get solved. And that is scary. Like, we don't know who killed these people. We don't know where this kid is. Right. And I had just never been exposed to, like, hey, these, like, firefighters put out the fire. Right? Right. You're like, yeah, they show up and they put out the fire. They're heroes. I had never had the concept before of like, sometimes cops can't get the bad guy. Yeah. And that was terrifying as a kid. I'm horrified to think of what number three is. Number three is probably the easiest to all of these. So when I was rewatching my episodes, there was this, there was the story of, um, oh, let me get his name. It was this gangster guy, Leo Corey, who like did a hit on a diner, had a bunch of people shot and he disappeared. And the first thing I did... So in watching this episode, what did you think I do? Well, watching the story of Lyra Corre, who had all these people murdered. You Googled him to see what happened to him. Exactly. (laughs) I went to my phone and I searched his name so I could be like, did they get him? Did they get him? Did they find him? Right. And sure enough, they did find him eventually. He was using a false name in San Diego and he died at a hospital. And there was like a DNA test. They're like, oh yeah, we found him. And he died here. But what made this show so scary Remember, like I listed off, like every episode had like five or six stories in it. And at the end, maybe of some episodes, they'd be like, we have a follow up from a story we told you earlier on this program. A witness called in and told us they had seen that. But that was once in a while. Mm. And at the end of these episodes, there was no way you could find out. Did they get this guy? Have they Not made any then. progress? You just had to go to sleep knowing all these monsters were out there. You could not run to your Encyclopedia Britannica and look it up and see. <laughs> right. And that's like a that's like a modern convenience. Like when you're nervous oh, yeah. or concerned or lacking knowledge on something, you can just Google it. You can have the answer in less than a minute and you can go to sleep. But back then, man, you had to sleep with that horror. Yeah. What would you do? I guess 
go to the library and look at the <laughs> newspapers? Like, what could you even do? Like, the microfiche, you're just, like, sitting there scrolling. <laughs> you're just a 12-year-old in a microfiche, like, I gotta find out if they caught the Roswell killer. You're like, like what's going on over here? Like, lady, I'm trying to solve this case, if you don't mind. More red yarn, please. <laughs> exactly! So those were like, the th- besides the theme music, the three things I was like, this is why this show was so scary at the time that it was. No, those are great, great points. I mean, especially, as, like you said, as a kid watching them and introducing you to some of the realities of the world that you may have been sheltered from yeah. and not exposed to. Yeah. And the fact that you had to sit with that terror, that knowledge, like, you know, even with all this access to stuff, there's obviously still tons of unsolved disappearances, deaths and so forth. And, you know, I'll go to Reddit and I'll start looking stuff up. But it's like when you don't have that answer, it's kind of that same. It's that same feeling. You're like, well, somebody has to. Who Who's not connecting the dots? Who's not coming forward? Who knows something and isn't opening their mouth and why? And yeah. Right. Oh, man. Uh, so there's one more thing I want to get into about the show in chemistry yeah. class. So even before the creepy music comes in, right at the top, there's a boilerplate. And the boilerplate reads... This program is about unsolved mysteries. Whenever possible, the actual family members and police officials have participated in recreating the events. Mm. What you're about to see is not a news broadcast. Yeah. The actual people who were part of these crimes, now I want to word this correctly, have participated in recreating the events. So there's a weird blending of theatrics and like these are the people going through PTSD from witnessing a murder or losing their child Right. Or seeing Bigfoot, and we're going to put them on camera, and they're not actors, and we're going to make them reenact their trauma for you. What? Well, I mean, they don't make them do it. Nobody's forced to. And they have come to the show to help solve it. So I, I definitely take your point and notice that. I had forgotten that, to the extent possible, the actual people involved were included. In my head, I just remembered the reenactments. But I was like, well, of course, like they had the actual detectives. They had, you know, the mothers who are talking about their children who are, you know, who vanished or whatever. I mean, it's a terrifying concept, but I guess I see what you're saying. There's a difference between being interviewed about it and having to recreate the scenario itself. Like this uh, this ghost story in the one episode I watched, it was like this couple who lived in a house and there had been a poltergeist. I call it poltergeist because stuff's getting moved around. It's not a ghost, like things are getting moved. And it was them. It was them. In the house, reenacting, yeah. getting the crap scared out of him about this ghost. And I'm like, why? Why would you do this? Why would you? Re- okay, sorry, we didn't get on that. Take 29 <laughs> of you peeing yourself in the shower out of horror. Why would you go through this? You want answers. That's the thing. You want answers. Oh my People God. don't like unsolved stuff. That's the magic recipe. It really is. Oh, my God. Okay, that's all I have for chemistry class. It's pretty clear this show did not just start and stop and that was that was it and that's all. It had a lot of influence. And so yeah. I think we need to piece that out in uh, contempo culture. <laughs> I don't know if the microphone picked that up, but I just had a little tum-tum grum-grum. Should we go to lunch? We're so excited. We're just, we're skipping lunch. We can't skip lunch. As I heard on the announcements, our choices are sticks or strips. I was a strip man all the way. I'm a stick kid, so. You're uh, a stick kid. Okay, all good. right. Let's go enjoy our probably real meat lunches, and then I'll see you in Contempo Casual. In the Contempo Cash! Oh, Contempo Culture. That's all right. Contemporary Casual is like a new fashion style. I like it. It's good. 
spy tech. Case 101. The Whistler's made his move. Use your spy tech binoculars to keep him in sight. He's coming your way. The spy tech intruder alert detects his movement. He's yours. You've lost him. Set up the spy tech long range microphone. You can hear the smallest sounds like they were right up close. You've got him now. They have spy tech. They know. Spy tech. High tech equipment that works. Each sold separately. New from Tyco. Okay, well, my stomach is grumbling, which means those fish sticks did not sit well. Mm. Well, why don't you take a big old bite out of contemporary culture? <laughs> and I uh, mean, like, I'll tee you up because I think you've done a lot more research on this. You know, this show was huge. I mean, so many people watched it. Yep. It's a cultural phenomenon and obviously inspired a lot of different culture and media that came after it. What bubbles to the top for you? Who do you think uh, got their inspiration from this? The things that I kind of thought of and wrote down were America's Most Wanted, which started a year after. I forgot about that show. Yeah. And by the way, there was like almost 1,200 episodes of America's Most Wanted. What? Yeah. Twice as many. Uh, if you've got that many people on your most wanted list, you got to be more specific about your most wanted list. Again, yeah, that's that. just to say there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on, right? So that was one. Investigation Discovery is a whole channel, right? The ID channel. Oh, yeah. Cold Case Files, I think is what it's called. A serial podcast. Yeah. Making a Murderer. I mean, there's a never-ending stream. Those are just the ones that initially came to my mind. What else did you think of? So Serial is what came to the top of my mind at first. Um, For sure. What was her name? Who's the host who does that? Sarah Koenig. Sarah Koenig, right. And the, the first one was about um, Anand Syed. Is that him? Adnan Syed, yep. Adnan. Adnan, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was captivating. The whole country was talking about that. And that popularized podcasts in such a big way. I mean, podcasts have been around a long time before that. But it was still this kind of niche medium for people to kind of consume content. And I really feel like Serial was one of those big sort of tipping points where a lot more people fell into it because that story was so gripping and the way it was told was so, you know, so well researched and just pieced together so well. Yeah, it was a absolutely it was a cultural phenomenon, no doubt. After I remembered there was all this like ghost stuff in it, then I thought of uh, Aaron Mankey's lore. Mm, I'm Aaron mm-hmm. Mankey. And this is lore. And he just tells like scary ass ghost stories that are like kind of real. So I thought that was inspired by it. But you know, the thing that bubbled to the top for me, uh, which you didn't mention, I think the show that the first TV show that I thought of was Rescue 911. Oh, yeah. Did you ever watch Rescue 911? I never watched Rescue 911. So it's pretty similar to Unsolved Mysteries, except they were all solved because it's just like, here's some crazy stuff this EMT unit dealt with to like save these lives. But it was like, it was dramatic reenactments. There was um, a host, which I can't remember, who would like set up every single accident that was about to happen. Who was like, I also think might have been in a beige trench coat. I'm not sure. I mean, it's safe to assume, right? I feel like he always walked from behind an open ambulance door and was like, good evening. And they would like tell the story (laughs) of the accident. Yeah. Hey there, classmates. 
Future Chris here with a quick editor's note. Now, this is only our second episode of the podcast, and we had not quite figured out our flow. And one of the easy things we could have done, which of course is fact check ourselves when we say something and then just re-record it and sound really smart like we know everything. Well, the facade has slipped and the joke's on us because we don't know all the things. Hey, it's, it's cool. We're learning along with you after all. And one of the easiest things we could have done is just stop to see, hey, wait, who is the host of Rescue 911? And of course, it's William Shatner himself. Duh, how did we miss that? Now, Ben's memory wasn't completely off. William would often appear next to an ambulance as he was doing a walk and talk, uh, but no trench coat. Now, we did add a correction at the beginning of episode three, but there's no guarantee you'll go listen to that. And while we have you here, just want to make sure you didn't think we were a couple of complete class clowns. So there you have it, and with that said, let's get back to more Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, yeah, and then it was just like dramatic reenactments of these like car crashes or burning buildings and like how the EMT crew was were these savers. And there was no like mystery at the end, but it was still the, just a similar sort of thing. That's kind of what I thought about afterwards. Yeah, there's tons of stuff, but it's like I feel like where this has really exploded our podcast, of course. There are any number of true crime, true horror, alien, supernatural, unexplained encounters, you name it. There's no shortage of them. The one I, I really like and know, uh, people, a lot of people know of is a True Crime Garage. That's like a really mm. big one. But I mean, again, that's just one of hundreds, I think, is a, a safe thing to say. Uh, but yeah, no doubt Serial was that big pivot point. And then I think the second one where it really came into sort of the the visual realm again was Making a Murderer. And I think that one was another one that captivated yeah. a lot of people. And again, it's the frustration of this story that bends your mind. And a lot of these cases that really stand out in this true crime or this um, unsolved kind of arena are ones where there's just so much going on. And you know, like probably 80% of them are red herrings, but there's no discernible way necessarily to know what's red herring and what's truth, right? And so what this really given rise to, I think, and you mentioned, I can't remember what term you use, but I've heard the term citizen detectives. Oh, yeah, yeah. And armed citizen with the, scientists is what I said. Citizen scientists, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Same thing, right? Like armed with all of this technology we have at our fingertips and this interconnection. And, you know, I think Reddit's a big part of that, podcasts as well, is that it's helping law enforcement, people on their free time. No one's getting paid to do this. No. Doing all these exhaustive bits of research and investigation to revive these cold cases, to kind of crowdsource their knowledge and catch a bad guy or give peace to families who don't know what happened to a loved one. And that I think is really cool. I mean, we talk about a lot of the ways that technology can be so devastating and problematic. And those are all true. But on the other side of the coin, we can't deny the fact that there are people who want to do good. They want to be involved. I don't think Unsolved Mysteries was the first, but I think it was definitely another one of those cultural moments where that call to you has still stuck with us. And now we have even more tools at our disposal to lend a hand. And for the people who do it respectfully, my sense is Law enforcement is really appreciative of that because they're under-resourced. Particularly in some parts of the country, there are thousands of cold cases, right? Like it's insane. Like you look at Boston and 
you know, LA and just like these big cities and metropolitan areas, they only have so many detectives. And so I think this show really helped us tap into that. Yeah, I mean, I have other thoughts, but that was such a nice bow on everything. I don't want to like throw off that momentum. That was good. Well, but I want to get your I want to get your thoughts as well. What did you? So you mentioned making a murderer. Yeah, and I think you know I, I made the point earlier of like one of the things that made unsolved mysteries so scary as a child was like cops not finishing the job. And granted, yeah. I mean these cases, you know, the more you learn about cases like this if you don't have the evidence you have nowhere to go like you have no more information you can work all the hours you want but you just don't have the information to finish the job i get that what i found interesting about making the murder is making a murder also posited that some police may not have the best intentions right because a lot of that show was trying to frame avery or like the conflict between that family and local law enforcement and that that creepy freaking special prosecutor yes creepy creepy little mustache man oh yeah and i just think it perpetuates the authenticity of these stories is that we as humans are fallible we are all extremely different we're all motivated by different things we have different origin and frame of references and things that happen to us that shape who we are today and why we act the way we are and just as Unsolved Mysteries opened me to adults can do bad things and cops don't always finish the job, you know, some of these other shows made it real raw and authentic of the motivations behind both the people who committed the crimes and the people who are trying to solve them. And it's right. it's not always how we think of good guys and bad guys on TV and cartoons and things. It's, it's fascinating. No, I think that's absolutely true. And I think to the extent that citizen detectives can help keep law enforcement accountable to what they are trying to do and put on that pressure. I think that's an important piece. But I mean, most certainly, I think what a lot of these continue to show is there are still biases and flaws and people with not the best motivations who are involved in this solving piece of it and all sorts of interests as to why it might be important to not have open cases. And so there's, and that's part of the system and all the different people involved. And so it does expose, I think, a lot. Um, we know that there are these severe limitations and these just help kind of shine a light on that. So hopefully we can fix them. We recognize yeah. there's a problem and it needs to change. And to your point about serving justice, I think that's even the even greater piece of it too, right? We can, we can serve the justice of, bringing a bad person to their reckoning, but also the system itself needs to be in service of everybody, right? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I want to end on your really empowering positive note that I really liked where think if, if you're a survivor of one of these unsolved mysteries that you've lost a family member or something and you don't know what happened to them and just how like alone and scared that can make you feel, right? There's this empty place in your life that this person filled most likely with joy and love and memories and things like that. And your local law enforcement is like, sir, we've done everything that we can. The trail's gone cold. We've got nothing left. And just like how defeating and heartbreaking that can be. But to have this show that's like, hey, 200 million Americans at the time. I don't know how many people lived in America in the mid-80s. But let's say it was back down to 200 or 250 million. Here's this person who needs your help. We need all of your eyes on this. Get it done. And for you as a person to be like, my God. There are people who are on this case every day, and I don't know, someday, somewhere, in some small town, someone's going to see something, and I'm going to find out what happened to X in my family. Like, what a beacon of hope and support. What a good thing. 
Absolutely. And then we'll button it with the most terrifying theme music you can ever <laughs> you can ever experience. <laughs> like, this is so heartening. <laughs> oh my god. It's terrifying. So this item of itself now must face judgment on the scales of mathematics. Let's go to class and see how it holds up. All right, let's do it. Okay, we are here to add the numbers to balance this equation. Ben, your thoughts. Does Unsolved Mysteries, particularly these 80s episodes, how do they hold up? I got to be real honest with you. They hold up 100%. I have not watched Unsolved Mysteries since I was a child at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm, I've just mm-hmm. heard the theme music. Yeah. And I watched it, and I these were mysteries that happened, they happened 30 years ago. And I was enraptured for, for both right. episodes, top to bottom. And I think it has to do with the nature of the stories. I think there's, it's good that it's variety, that it's not just 45 minutes of murder. But it's like, here's a ghost story. Here's some buried treasure. Here's Roswell. Because clearly like, that has stuck in a bad place in your mind. So you're I know, like, I, I know, need a palate like, cleanser. Here's like our old vaudeville variety show of mysteries. I need like, Wendigo of the, you know, Swiss Alps or something. Yes, yes. So it helps that there's variety, but I think they're honestly, you know, what happens is like things don't age well because they're written poorly, like the script is bad or the music is really bad or it's shot terribly. Like the, even as something as simple as like the lighting on a set can be like, oh God, oh yeah, do they not know how to do that? I think the production value is really high as they go through these sets and these reenactments, whether it's a field in New Mexico or it's the real house where these people are being haunted. Right. It's set real well. I think it's shot real well. It's got a nice pace to it. Like it keeps it going. If I didn't have other stuff I needed to watch for this show, I would be binging unsolved mysteries all winter. What about you? What do you feel? How do the scales balance? So I would say that overall it does really still hold up well. You know, I found them entertaining. I found them intriguing and interesting. I thought the format works. And to your point about the variety, it's not even just the topics, but the fact that in an episode you cover five or six different stories. I I thought there's only like three stories. And a lot of them had like five or six and then they'd throw in an update and you're like, holy crap, like this is a ton of content. (laughs) This is amazing, right? And... We didn't talk a lot about the revival on Netflix. It's fantastic, and it's very much shot in the same kind of way as like a making a murderer. There's no host, right? There's no voice. They didn't want to replace Bob, but there's this great watermark of him at the end of the credits. You just see him in the background. It's this very ghostly kind of visage of Robert Stack, which is great. And then they took that original theme music, and they just kind of modernized it. And I'm going to tell you, it's every bit as terrifying. Oh, really? I firmly believe it. Can you play a cut of it here? I think I know what the devil's interval is now. Yeah, that was really scary. They did a great job. That's really scary. It's less synthesizer, right? It's not the kind of like 90s, 80s synth, but 
it still has obviously the the kind of ostinato, you know, it had that. But again, that wailing part is always what got me. And I remember when I popped in the first episode of the new Netflix run and that song came on, I was like, ooh, they've done it justice. And then that (laughs) whale came in and I was like, I got chills. And then I saw that watermark of Robert Stack come on and I was like, this is gold. Good job. So good, good. I have not watched the new Netflix series. How do you feel about it? Hot take. What What do you think of it? Okay, so I really like it. I will say the Supernatural ones don't really hit with me. But I'm going to tell you right now, anyone who's watched this run, the very first episode is Mystery on a Rooftop. It's going to haunt your dreams. That <laughs> I think I told you this, Ben. That episode made me go down a rabbit hole where I was on Reddit. I listened to about 10 to 12 podcasts talking about this case. Oh, my God. The only thing I haven't done is read the book by the woman who lived at this hotel where it happened, and she wrote a book about this entire case. It's a perfect mystery in the sense that it could be explained in like 10 different ways. Oh, God. Okay. It's insane. So the very first episode is brilliant. I like it. It works without a host. Again, I think it's still that timeless nature of people wanting to be able to help solve a mystery, but it's different. They focus on one case per episode. So it's it's like a movie, a 45-minute full show on just one case, but you really dive into them. So it is a different format. Some people might love it or like the old style. The good news is there's 600 episodes for everyone to go find. And again, I think in the math equation of this, the reason it works is because there's something for everybody. I will say the second episode I watched wasn't the one I intended to. I didn't get my face of Mars. I found it to drag a little bit. And I think this is one thing I remember about the show. If there is a type of case I didn't really care about, it felt like it kind of pulled me down. Uh, yeah. And so I think it was more about the content. I really don't have much to complain about the format of this show, even 30 years later. It's just so good. Which is amazing. Can you imagine another, let's give it another 15, 20 years from now, somebody watching Road Rules from MTV and being like, it's timeless. This reality show holds up. So, well. I, mean, I mean, would anyone say that about it now? No. God, let, no, God. let alone in 15. Do we need God, to wait no. another decade and a half? I no. So I think it's phenomenal. I think we're going to have a lot of stuff on the show where we're like, we love this. We have warm memories. Does not yeah. hold up. Can't watch it today. Can't play it today. Can't read it today. Having said that, Road Rules versus Real World, now that will hold up. Huge. It does and continues to hold up. That's the secret sauce. You got to put the two together. (laughs) So this was the most exciting day of school I've ever had. Yeah, this is great. Okay. I've had so much education, too much, some might say. And I'm ready for next class. I'm ready to like start the next one. But I need to know what I'm going to be learning about Ben. Oh boy, I, I'm excited to assign some homework this week. I want to ask you real quick, or just real quick, are you more excited now to announce, to reveal it to me, or were you more excited when you were waiting to get the revelation last time? This is such a great question. So I have to, I have to answer this question with an honest love of my brother. So I have an older brother, and it is Christmas season, we are in the month of December, And what I am so always impressed about with my brother is he always gets everybody the best Christmas gifts. Mm. And like, he doesn't need a bunch of info. He just knows you well. And whenever you open something from him, and there's like, you know, we all have like throwaway gifts. Like, here's a new toothbrush, that kind of thing. Here's a stocking stuffer. Right. 
But we've he's always got a couple gems that you're like, I never knew I needed this in my life, but it's changing everything. Those people are amazing. I don't he's know incredible. how they do it. I don't know how they do it. He crushes it. And so when I when Andy's like, here, man, Merry Christmas, and he hands me a gift, I am like, oh, like, I'm so excited <laughs> to open it because I was like, I don't know what it's going to be, but I know I yeah. never knew I needed it and I'm going to need it every day for the rest of my life. Right. I am so excited by surprises. I love surprises so much. But as you knowing me so well, I love to surprise. I love to plan something out and to be yes. like, ta-da, to other people. Yeah. Um, to be honest, equal. Equal. I, I, mean, I mean, yeah. Don't don't choose your favorites, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's so good that I'm finally getting this out because the inspiration came from when the minute you said Unsolved Mysteries last time in my head, bum, 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 the music, right? Huge. Music Absolutely. is huge. Absolutely. And so I was thinking about earworms and I've been humming something all over the house all week. And it's the point where my wife is getting upset. She'd be like, is that? <laughs> it's the same song. Every time you do dishes, you're singing this song. And I was like, yeah, but it's a jam. It's it's a banger and you got to love it. And so I've got a music video for you for next week. Okay. And that music video starts Hold on, hold on, hold on. Prepare yourself. Okay. Starts with two key notes. I'm going to try and do it without waking up everybody else in the house. <laughs> hey, hey. Anything? Anything? Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. Oh, my God. Any initial thoughts, <laughs> memories of that song, that music video? I mean, that song could be a steam train rolling up around the bend. Yes! It could so be a bumper it. car bumping. Oh, my God. Okay, I have thoughts, but we can't get into it now. But I, I know the video. I can picture yeah. parts of it. Great song, great video. I can't wait. This is exciting. We probably need to apologize. There's probably going to be a lot of singing next episode. So much singing. Sorry, everybody. Don't even play a clip. We're just going to sing the whole song together and do it. (laughs) No clips. Please still tune in. (laughs) Don't (laughs) tune in in spite of the fact that Ben and I might sing a lot of Peter Gabriel. In spite of. I love it. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, like, uh, send us out of here, man. Get us. uh, We solved this mystery. Oh, my gosh. Get us out of school. We're about to leave. I just want to say, remember, you can be a part of 80s High. You can join the class, 80s High Podcast at gmail.com. Please join. We want your input because Ben and I love talking, but we also want to know what you all thought of this stuff, too. So I hope you all tune in again. Thank you so much. But right now, everyone, a class dismissed. Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical!